Good to see you this morning. And Brother Will, we love you and pray you had a great time at the beach. He just got back. Would you all express appreciation, Brother Will, for the job he does? I have uh, some very dear friends in the service with us this morning. Um, uh, Brother Bill Mackey grew up in Lancaster, Kentucky, Lancaster, South Carolina, and Kay, his wife, grew up in that area. And uh, Bill was the pastor in Kentucky when I was saved that baptized me, licensed me to the ministry, ordained me, my mentor. And he's been with us in this church before. Uh, he's with us today. Uh, recently retired, living in Raleigh and working part-time with the North Carolina Convention. But uh, Brother Bill's here with his, with his wife Kay and several uh, friends from Kentucky and the Carolinas. And Bill's been a, a big part of our lives. He uh, married my sister, and I, my sister and her husband, Keith. He also performed mine and Monisa's wedding. Helped me baptize my father in the Kentucky River a few months before Dad uh, passed away. And he and Kay this year are celebrating 50 years of marriage. And so yesterday afternoon, and I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yesterday afternoon in the uh, Apex, uh, we had a, a celebration for them and friends from the Carolinas. Uh, over 100 people were there and several from Kentucky drove down or flew down to spend the weekend with them. And Brother Bill and Kay are over here somewhere uh, I can't really see with these TV lights, but uh, Bill, you and Kay, if you'd stand, and uh, that's Bill Mackey, my mentor, and his wife Kay, and um, rem- remain standing. I got saved as a teenager, sophomore in high school, and started going to church, and the director of the Sunday school department, when I first started going to church, was Don Childers, and Don's out here, and all of you folk who are with Bill today, would you stand let us welcome you to Rock Hill and to First Baptist Church? That's Don and others from Kentucky. Several of those are from my home church, and we appreciate you being here and love you very, very much. Well, last Sunday we started a new message series titled Our Hope, looking at the hope you and I as followers of Christ have because of our relationship with Jesus. And we started by looking at how different our life is before Christ and after Christ. Before Jesus is part of our life, we're separated from Him, separated from God. We're not part of the family of God, and we live without any hope, without any certainty. But after Christ, after Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, everything changes, and now we have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with Christ. We're a part of the family of God. He lives within us, and we are filled with a hope that is unshakable. And in fact, in the New Testament, it's only called hope because we haven't received all of it yet. Some of it's still out there in the future, like heaven. It's guaranteed. It's a promise of God. And it's certain. But most people in Rock Hill and in this geographic region are living without that hope. And they don't know how much God loves them. And they don't know all that God has available for them. Today I want us to spend some time focusing on the hope we have as believers in Christ when it comes to death and beyond the grave. So I invite you to open your Bible with me, please, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to do some teaching from this and a few other passages this morning about what God promises us as it relates to death and then the life that is available to us beyond the grave. Because, listen, 
You know this, but let me just remind us. One of those absolute certainties of life is death. And when we're young, we don't think about it much. And when we're older, we try not to think about it much. But it's a certainty of life. A little over a decade ago, an American Airlines plane took off from JFK in New York City and got into some turbulence. And according to the investigation, the pilot uh, may have done too much to try to move the rudder and and the what we would call the tail of it, the, the stabilizer, unattached, you know, and and fell off and. And then the motors came loose and that plane crashed into a neighborhood, uh, not in the Bronx, but in Queens, I think it was, and landed on top of a house, exploding, killing all 260 passengers. It also killed five people on the ground. One of the passengers in that ill-fated plane was a 26-year-old Hilda Mayor. What really made her story even more tragic was two months earlier, she had been working in a restaurant on the first floor of one of the towers on 9-11. And when those planes crashed into the Twin Towers, she was one of the lucky ones able to make it out before the buildings collapsed. And so here it is on one of the darkest days in our nation's history. She survives and just two months later dies in a plane crash in New York City. Sort of like the young Chinese student who survived the crash of that plane the other day in San Francisco. Was thrown off and with all the spray, the fire retardant stuff on the runway, one of the emergency vehicles, I believe it was one of the fire trucks, didn't see her and ran over and so she survived the crash only to be killed by an emergency vehicle trying to save everyone. Death is a certainty in life. We, we, we can ignore it, not talk about it, but it's a reality, and it can come at uh, any, any moment. I could share with you stories of classmates when I was in high school who never graduated because they died. Stories of classmates in college who never graduated because they died. Death is an absolute certainty, and most people, most people in this city, And in fact, some of your relatives, some of your friends, some of your neighbors, your co-workers, they don't like to think about it because they don't know what's beyond. They kind of hope, they have a, a wishful thinking that maybe there's something out there after this life, but they, they're just not certain. They don't know and, and they can't face death head on. They have no hope, no knowledge. No certainty. And that's a a terrible way to live. But for those of us who are believers, who have a relationship with Christ, we have this beautiful promise from God that can help us face our fears and and like the song was saying a moment ago, overcome them. Because God has promised us in in Titus chapter 1, and we'll get to Thessalonians in a minute, but but notice this promise in Titus chapter 1, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot what? Can't, God can't do what? What is it, church? And that means everything God tells us is what? Truth. God, who cannot lie, promised us what? Eternal life. 
everlasting life and did it long ages ago. Literally, it means before time, as you and I understand it, ever started. It was a part of God's plan from the very beginning to have a people who would live with Him forever. That's His promise. And so I want us to spend some time looking at what He says about that everlasting life and death and the resurrection and what happens beyond death. So stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read together 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. And we've got to move quickly. Verse 13. The Bible says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who've died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe, there's the key, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, those who are alive at the second coming, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another. Comfort one another with these words. Father, take Your truth, And by your Holy Spirit, penetrate the deepest parts of our being today. Speak to us your word. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I really like the way that passage begins. God saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. And in the original language, it's literally the word knowledge with the negative prefix. God saying, I don't want you to not know. God does not want you to not know. Instead, God wants you to know. God wants you to know about the future. God wants you to know about death. God wants you to know about beyond the grave. Because God doesn't want you facing life, death, and what comes after like so many people that you know are facing it without hope, without knowledge, without confidence, without certainty. God wants you to be informed. And so He gives us in Scripture things to bless us and comfort us and encourage us. He says, I want you to be informed about what happens to those who are asleep, a common way for the Greeks and Romans to refer to those who have died. I want you to know what's going on, what happens. Um, I think a lot of us were fascinated and, 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 and you know, kind of glued to the news reports three years ago when those uh, miners, those 33 miners, were trapped a half mile below the, the earth in Chile. And I think because my family's mining people in, in the past, anytime there's a mining store, it grabs my attention. And, and you know, they, they were trapped down there 69 days, I believe it was, the longest that any miners have been trapped and survived. And once they discovered they were alive, they bore these holes so they could send supplies to them to keep them alive. These, these are small, about four-inch openings. And they would send down food, water, medical supplies, clothing. But one of the things that was sent was 33 Bibles. These very small miniature Bibles with a magnifying glass so they could read them. And these trapped miners for those two months were reading God's Word. They were having daily worship services. And while they were down there, two of them got saved, gave their hearts to the Lord. And they said the Word of God, it gave them hope. They would read the Scripture and it would give them hope. 
And one of the reasons God has given you and me this book is to give us hope because God wants you to know. Not so it can just sit on the shelf or the coffee table or in your house and make you feel good about having it or for you to have a collection so you can get them out on Sunday morning and bring them to the church and the only time you open them is on Sunday morning. God's given you this because He wants you to know. And God has all kinds of beautiful promises and beautiful truths in here that can bless your life, transform your life, give you hope, an incredible hope. But there are some of you, Christians, believers, and you know very little about what God is promising. You know very little about the truths of God because you do not invest the time to study, to read. You don't have the discipline to discover all these wonderful things. The Bible says that God's Word's like honey. I'm going to spend two or three months this fall preaching on just the Word of God from Psalm 119. It's it's, it's powerful what God can do in our lives if we just know what He says. And God says, I've given you this as a gift because I want you to know. I want you to be informed about what happens to those who are dead. Not only your loved ones who are dead, but you. When you face death, as you surely will one day. Now look at verse 14. He says, if we believe, and that's the key, because all the promises that we're going to talk about in the minutes remaining are contingent on your personal belief in Jesus Christ. Not just your acknowledgement that He is real, but your belief in Jesus that is so strong you make the conscious decision to commit your life to Him and to receive Him as your Lord and Savior. If you have that kind of faith, if you believe that all this is God's promise to you, He says in verse 14 that, here's, let me tell you what's going to happen, He said to the dead. He said, God will bring them with Him. He'll bring them with Him. Look at that again. Verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He's, he's looking to the future. So young people, think about someday out there in the future, the second coming of Jesus. Well, let's pull it back. Let's just imagine that during this worship service where you're sitting over here and out here and out here, suddenly Jesus comes back. He says when Jesus comes back, all those who have died in Christ, all believers who have already died, their bodies were buried But when they died, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So when they died, their bodies were buried, but their soul went to be with God in heaven. And they are conscious today. They are in the presence of God today. And at the second coming, if Jesus were to come back during this service, He would come back and He would bring with Him the souls of those who have died as believers. Then He continues in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. If Jesus came back right now, and he was bringing those souls back with him. We're in this room. We're alive. We're not dead. Verse 15 is about us. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, something is going to happen to those who have died in Christ at the second coming before anything happens to us. They will have, they will have an experience before anything happens to those of us who are alive. Now notice what he says in verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And that Greek word shout is a military term. It's the idea of giving a command. How many of you served in the military? Raise your hand. You you, you served in the military at some point. High, wave it high. Hey, let's let's thank them, okay? Now, those of you 
who were in the military, when your commanding officer gave you an order, was that a suggestion? Did, did you have much say in whether or not you obeyed? Was there authority in that order? When a commanding officer gives a command and order, it elicits a response. And that is exactly what this word means, that when Jesus comes back, He's not coming the way He did the first time. He's not coming simply as a suffering servant. When Jesus comes back, He's coming back as the commander of the armed forces of God with the angels of heaven. When He comes back, He's coming back as Lord of lords and King of kings. And when He comes back, He's going to give a command and all of the universe is going to respond to that voice, to that order, to that command. Now notice what else He says here. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That thing that happens to those dead believers, deceased believers, before anything happens to those of us who are alive is that they are raised from the dead. In other words, their body, their body that was buried will be resurrected. That's not simply a resuscitation of the body that was buried. In the New Testament, Lazarus, Jesus raised him from the dead. It was a resuscitation. Lazarus, when he came back, had the same body he had before he died. And Lazarus would later die again. The resurrection of believers at the second coming of Jesus is different. It's not a resuscitation of the body that is buried. It is a transformation of that body. It is a resurrection of that body into a new type of body. And we'll look at that in more detail in a moment. It's similar to, but it's different than. It's related to, but it's not exactly the same body. And so he continues here in verse 17. Those who are alive and remain. So Jesus comes back during this worship service. And dead believers all over this planet, their bodies will be resurrected. He brings their soul back with them. And now they have a resurrected body in which their soul will reside. You and I who are alive when Jesus comes back, He says we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So they're raised from the dead. Their bodies are resurrected. Those of us who are alive, we are joined with them. And at the same time, together, we're caught up. And that, in the Greek language, is a passive voice, meaning that it's something done to us. And it means to be caught up, to carry it off, that the power of God is going to grab those who are dead, those who are alive, resurrect the dead, take those of us who are alive, and He's going to carry us off. He's going to do it to us that we will then spend eternity with Him. And so God is saying here, as you think about death and all of its uncertainties, I want you to know this stuff. And I want you to look at a few passages this morning that I've printed in your notes and they'll be on the screen that looks in a little more detail. We're just going to take some time and teach a little bit today, okay? Teach a little bit from from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. And look a little more closely at how God in the Bible describes that resurrection and what happens to us when we're called up to spend eternity with Him. 1 Corinthians 15, he begins by saying, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown, this body. He says it's like a seed that's planted in the garden. Your body, when you die, is sown. It's buried in the ground. And he says it's sown, it's buried a perishable body. That means one that can decay. That's already happening. You know, when I was uh, younger, I didn't wear these. I didn't need to. When I was in my 20s, my vision suddenly started deteriorating. I've worn glasses since my 20s. 
And Monisa, if I haven't told you this, I'm telling you now, when I die, if I die before you, bury me with these things. I want them on. Because when Jesus resurrects me, I'm, I'm just praying that I'm fast enough to grab them. They're in the casket. And I'm going to take them with me to heaven. And I'm going to lay them down on the streets of glory. And I'm going to do a Pentecostal dance all over those babies. But right now, my body is deteriorating. It's perishing. Your Bible may translate it being corruptible. It's a body that dies and it's a body that decays. But that resurrected body, that new body we get is imperishable. That's the reason Revelation says it's a body that can not will, will never be sick again, that will never grow old again. Uh, it, it, there will be no more death. You won't cry any tears of sorrow or pain because all those old things, he says, are, are passed away. And everything is new. Everything is a different kind. Everything changes. He goes on to tell us in this passage that our body is sown, is buried in dishonored, but raised in glory. Now some of you, you know, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to some of you today, okay? Some of you are going to go to lunch. And you're going to get spaghetti. Or a cheeseburger with too much mayonnaise. And during lunch, somebody in this room, I don't know who, but somebody in this room is going to get spaghetti sauce or mayonnaise on your shirt, on your blouse, on your tie, on your pants, and all of a sudden there's a stain. Now after this, nobody's getting spaghetti, are you? It just takes one spot to stain it, to bring dishonor on it. All of us, our bodies, we've dishonored them with sin. Some of us are carrying in our own bodies the marks, the scars of sin, of, of wrong choices. And our, our bodies are buried in dishonor. They're, they're buried with the scars of sin. They're, they're buried with the marks of our bad choices, with the stains that, that, that we've put there. But that body is resurrected in glory. Never touched by sin. N- never scarred by sin. And it never will be touched by sin. It's a glorious body. It's a perfect body likened unto the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after His resurrection. But he goes on to say it's a body that is sown or buried in weakness, raised in power. Death in itself is evidence of how weak our bodies really are, that you and I cannot do anything to ultimately stop it from happening. We can exercise, we can eat right, we can take care of ourselves. But we're still weak to stop it. But it's raised in power, never again to be touched by death, raised in the power of God, raised so radically different than this body. He also says it's on a natural body, body of flesh and blood made for this world, but it's raised a spiritual body, one fit for heaven, because this body's not, this body's not worthy of heaven. And so he continues in verse 50 in that chapter by explaining just a little bit more when he says, Now this, brethren, listen to this. I say this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. No body of flesh and blood is going into the kingdom of God. That's why it's resurrected into a spiritual body, a different kind of body. But notice how he continues. 
nor does the perishable inherit the the imperishable. In other words, a lot of people in our world today think, you know, you die and you just kind of naturally cross over into into that good whatever there is out there and that everybody just naturally progresses to that. Everybody just naturally moves from this life into that and it's all good. But God says no. God says this body is buried a perishable body, but it does not naturally progress into, does not naturally change into an imperishable body. I am weak and can and cannot prevent myself from dying. And listen, I am also weak and once dead there is nothing I can do to change the condition of my body once dead. There's no natural progression into an imperishable. It takes a force acting on me from the outside to change that body. It takes a force acting on you from the outside to change that body that is buried. You can't do it yourself. And so he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep. We won't all die. Because if Jesus came back to right now, we wouldn't be dead. Some will be alive when Jesus comes back. But he says, We will all be changed. And again, that word is in the passive voice. Something that's done to us. We don't change ourselves. But because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ at the second coming, either at the resurrection or if we're alive, He changes us. When He raises those deceased believers from the grave, He acts on them. He changes them. When He catches up those who are alive at the second coming, He acts on them. He changes them. It's the same thing that happened to you when you became a Christian. You didn't change your life. God changed it. God spoke to you and He drew you to Himself. And you made a free decision to place your faith in Christ, to commit your life to Him. And something miraculous happened in that moment when you surrendered to Jesus Christ. He came and took up residence in your life and He changed your heart. He changed your nature. He changed who you were. He changed you. But that's only the beginning of the change. Because as you live the Christian life, He is sanctifying you. He is working in you to constantly, daily, bring you from glory to glory to change you more and more into the image of Christ as you live for Him and grow in your spiritual life. And then on the resurrection day, when Jesus comes back, the change is completed. And He moves you from this body of flesh and blood into a supernatural, if you will, a spiritual body that is fit for heaven. And He says it happens in a moment. And that word is one that that literally means not divide. In other words, that, that moment is so fast. It is a moment of time, a millisecond of time that happens so quickly, you cannot sub subdivide that moment into any smaller increment of time. That's the reason he says it's in the twinkling of an eye. So Jesus comes back and he gives the command of heaven and in a millisecond faster than you can blink, the dead are raised and they are transformed. Those who are alive are changed and together we're called up with him and it's, and it's done. It's a work of God that is all part of our having eternal life. And that's when we put on immortality. It's like putting on clothes, like you, you put on clothes this morning. In that moment, this new is put on you. One last verse, then I'll start to wrap this up. 
Philippians 3.21. Jesus is speaking, or it's, 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 it's about Jesus. He's the one who will do this. And it says, the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 20, verse 21, who will transform, notice this, transform, change, a metamorphosis, the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Did you catch that? Your resurrected body, your changed body, you know what it's going to be like? Just go to the Gospels and read the stories of Jesus after the resurrection because it's going to be a body likened unto the glorious resurrected body of our Lord. You know, Jesus ate fish with the disciples after his resurrection, not because he was hungry, but he's just going to hang out with them and eat fish. So I personally think that rather than once a week, I'll get to eat chocolate seven days a week in heaven, and it won't matter because it's not a body like this one. There's nothing in this world to compare it to. So read the story of Christ after the resurrection, and you'll get a glimpse of it. It's a body that's not made for earth, but one that's made for heaven. And then he continues in verse 21 of Philippians 3 by saying, by the exertion of the power that he has, it's the power of God that will act upon you. You know what that power is? It's the same power that in the book of Genesis was there when God just sort of stepped on the balcony of eternity and spoke And the whole universe came into being. It's that power. It's the power of God that left heaven and touched earth when Jesus lay in the tomb that first Easter and resurrected his dead body. It's that power. It's the power of God that touched your heart and drew drew you to Christ when you you were in Sunday school or you were in a worship service or you were reading the Bible at home. It's that power. It's the same power of God that that entered your life and changed your want-tos when you gave yourself to Christ and birthed you spiritually into the family of God. It's that power. It's the power of God that is available to you every day so that you can live a life that honors God. You can live a godly Christian life. It's that power. And by the way, stop telling yourself you can't live the life because if you have Jesus in your life, you can. And every time you say you can't, you make a mockery of everything God says. You can live the Christian life because the power of God is in your life. If you have Christ in your life, it's that power. And that power is going to raise you from the dead That power is going to take your body of flesh and blood and transform it into a spiritual body, likened unto the body of Christ. That's the reason he ends 1 Thessalonians 4 with these words. Comfort one another. Comfort one another with this truth. God wants you to know. A couple years ago in Pennsylvania, police were called to the scene of a Really bad accident on one of the interstates. A car at a high rate of speed had collided with a tractor trailer. And two young men were killed. As they were looking at the scene, the driver's license of one of the victims identified him as 26-year-old Freddie Esposito from New York City. So they called 
the police in New York. And early that Saturday morning, two officers went to his parents' house. And with all the compassion they had, they told his parents that their, their youngest son had been killed. There in the door, his mother just collapsed on the floor. And they started doing the things that you do in those moments. They held on to each other. They um, began calling relatives and friends. They sent someone to tell Freddie's 82-year-old grandmother that he was dead. Freddie's older brother was a policeman in New York, and he just started his shift. And when he got the call at the police station, he, he left work, went to the, uh, the apartment there in the city that he and his brother shared. Just kind of instinctively, intuitively, he, he went to the darkened basement where his brother usually st- stayed and all of his stuff was. And, um, and there was a, a pile on the, the couch, pillow and blankets covering stuff. And he went over and just kind of lovingly, you know, touched it a couple of times. And, and when he did, his younger brother sat up. <laughs> And he said, you're dead, you're dead. He said, no, I'm sleeping. Apparently, um, a former fraternity brother had gotten a copy of his driver's license. And they looked pretty similar. And so it was an honest mistake. It was about 90 minutes after his parents were told he was dead that they got the call telling him he was actually alive. And his, his mother said, I'm not going to believe it till I can see your face myself. And when he got to their house, she said for the whole day, all she could do was just touch him, just touch him, every, just touch him, just touch him. Is, yeah, just touch him, smile, look in his face, just touch him. Just, you, can, you can imagine that. There's very few of us in this room. Most, most of us have cried because someone we love died. We know what that's like. And c- can you imagine, can you imagine how they felt? when they reached out and touched him and he was alive he was alive can you imagine well can you imagine what it's going to be like at the second coming in that resurrection morning When, when, when the hope, when the promise God has given us is realized and we, we can reach out and touch We, we can reach out and touch our Lord. We, we, we can reach out and touch our loved ones who died before. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? But remember, brothers and sisters, remember, it's all contingent on that one phrase. If we believe. Some of you have not believed. 
you're listening to me right now and yeah, you, you know there's a God and you think this stuff is real, but you haven't believed in the Bible sense of committing your life to it, of believing it enough that you personally choose to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And God's asking you to believe right now. God's asking you to give your life to Jesus right now. And when we sing this song, pastors are going to be here at the front. And I'm asking you to make your way to the front and say, Pastor, I want to believe. I want to give my life to Jesus. And we have counselors who are ready to talk with you and answer your questions and lead you in a prayer as you commit yourself to Christ. But you've got to choose that. It's not a natural progression that just happens to you. You have to choose it. We're inviting you to choose Jesus right now, to choose life, eternal life, to choose the resurrection, to choose heaven right now. Some of you have done that, but you haven't been baptized as you saw done earlier today. And you need to come and say, Pastor, I, I believe I have Christ in my life, but I need to be baptized. Because baptism is that first thing you do after believing to give public expression to your faith in Christ. It's what Jesus commands us to do to, to, to mark the fact that we're His follower. So come and request baptism. Others need to come and say, Pastor, this is my church, and today I want to formally join. We had, we had people join in our first service. You need to come and say, Pastor, I want to commit myself to this church and serve the Lord here and grow here. Others need to kneel and pray. So let's pray. Let's stand up. I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we'll sing. And you just start coming as pastors and counselors make their way. Father, help us. Help every person in this room right now to obey your voice. For that man, that woman, that teenager, that child who needs to give their life to Jesus, I pray right now for them, God, for him, for her. Help them come. Help them respond. Help them obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing, you come.